While I was reading through your website today, um, I stumbled across you talking about having had a spiritual breakthrough about two or three years into your business that really changed how you were doing business. But you never specified what that breakthrough was. Yeah. And I'm really curious yeah. uh, what that was. Thanks for asking. Um, <clears throat> the reason why I don't specify it is because I don't want people to necessarily say, well, I should, you know, look into George's spiritual path or something like that. I think that a spiritual breakthrough happens for each person in some of the most unique ways. Um, Sometimes it's not even spiritual, or some people might not consider it spiritual, but it's very spiritual to them. Uh, and some people, uh, you know, it, it might seem, well, that's very strange. That's very a traditional spirituality, you know. So I'll share with you what, what happened to me was that, um, you know, I, I, for a long time, I have been recovering from my religious past as a fundamentalist Christian. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. Those watching now know. Um, I was very into the Bible as the literal you know, word of God and um, trying to convert <laughs> everybody that I knew so that they would not go to hell, you know, uh, because it's only, it's only one way and it's what the, this book says. <clears throat> and I, you know, tried to convert one of my professors in, in college <laughs> and it backfired <laughs> because he asked me certain questions that I couldn't answer and it got me into this line of inquiry that basically uh, made me lose my faith, that, that faith in that particular religion. So for a couple years after that, and I would say for, for long after that, I was afraid of either going to hell or what does that mean? Like, where's my meaning now if that religion is no longer true? Can I, can so, I interject for one yeah. second? So it, in this fundamentalist belief, there was really this, this is the truth. This is everything, the truth. Everything else is not true. And if you don't believe into this truth, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, the thing is, I, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize about fundamentalist people is that there is a, for me, and I think, I think this is true for a lot of my peers in that space, and a lot of people aren't willing to admit this as a fundamentalist, is you're always afraid that what you, that, that what you believe isn't really true because you're supposed to be so certain about it to yourself and to everybody else, because the stakes are high. You go to hell if you don't, you know, mm -hmm. that it's so much, st the stakes are so high for the certain belief that therefore, just like the Tao, there's always the opposite side. You are very afraid that it's not really true. Mm -hmm. So there's a rigidity. Uh, and, and therefore, if you bend a little bit, it breaks. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's why for years I was a recovering, you know, fundamentalist. Like, what do I, what do I believe now? Am I going to hell? I, 
So I think it was really that time in my two to three years into my business, you know, around 2011, 20, 2012, that I stumbled upon <clears throat> just a series of books that helped me to find meaning again. Um, and like I said, it, what I'm going to say doesn't really matter. It's what I'm meaningful to me <laughs> and everybody needs to find their own path. And that's what I believe now. <laughs> um, and th that series of books includes books about the afterlife. It was, uh, there's a book called the afterlife experiments, which by, by uh, Gary Schwartz, there was another book called the afterlife unveiled by Stafford Betty. Anyway, these are not famous books, but they meant a lot to me and it really helped me. And there was another book, uh, a whole body of work called spiritism, which mm -hmm. came out of Brazil. It came out of France actually originally. And then it was very popular in Brazil. Uh, Alan Kardec and Chico Xavier. Anyway, yes. And with with this with these books, like what did these books give you at that yeah. time? These and it doesn't books, have to be generalizable. It's yeah. really about you for me. Yeah. These books gave me a it's funny to say, but they gave me a different kind of certainty about the afterlife. And it was no longer a I better believe this because my elders are telling me that this is true, but it was a belief that I had explored on my own and saw so much that I'm like, okay, I, I can't not believe this anymore. I no longer am afraid that this might not be true. It's a very flexible, like, Hey, you could challenge me all you want, but I've seen enough different sides of it to, to see that this is, uh, <laughs> this is true for me, very, very much true. So that certainty, the newfound kind of uh, grounded certainty about the afterlife gave me a different perspective about everything that I do and the, the sense of security, which used to be in how, you know, prestige, you know, social status. It used to be in physical, financial security that all got deepened into something much deeper than saying, you know, even if I was not financially secure, even if I was not socially prestigious, I am still profoundly okay. So, and, so that, that yeah. certainty of you are okay. I imagine it's not just you are okay, but it's okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I am okay now and i will be even more okay and all of us will be even more okay you know in the long term is the is the belief that i have now and which means that i don't have to try so hard to make sure i'm okay make sure my clients are okay make sure everyone around me is okay hmm. like when you when you say that if i kind of compare that to what you expressed earlier as this rigidity, what I hear is a loosening, yeah. like a... <laughs> yes, yes, a full, uh, you know, and, and, but here's what's interesting about this. <clears throat> it's not that the fundamentalist religion had no benefits, because I think back then I needed that for that formation of my psyche back then, because maybe because I was an immigrant at an early age, 
you know, it, it, everything was very unstable. You know, I was trying to form my identity <clears throat> and that helped me form my identity. And that fundamentalist Christianity has a lot of benefits. When I meet someone who is a fundamentalist Christian and they really, my feeling about it is they really believe, like not because someone told them to believe, but they really believe because of their own exploration. I'm really happy for them because if they believe and it produces love, then I'm really happy. But if it produces fear, it produces anger, it produces um, judgment, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what will happen when that belief gets broken a little bit. So, uh, because that, that fundamental, what I, what I got from that fundamentalist religion that I still am so grateful for today is this profound <clears throat> gratitude about God. Um, and this, uh, gratefulness that we are taken care of by God. But that back then it was, I'm only taken care of if I believe this certain line of thinking from my elders. Now it's, I'm taken care of truly like no matter what. And still today, I pray kind of like I used to pray. Like the language still easily comes to me, thank you, God, which for some people would not you know, make sense. Mm -hmm. But so anyway, the, the, it's so interesting. So there's a bit of a melding here of, of the two. Yeah. yeah. And so kind of the experience I hear, and that's awaking in me a little bit is this, the fundamentalist background has this gratitude. Yeah. But, but, but it, it's kind of a gratitude that's confined, whereas it sounds like what you describe is the gratitude is there, but it's also trust. Yeah. And the trust doesn't have to be like yeah. tight. It, it's kind of like a gratitude that is walking on ice back then. It's like... Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that I, that the ice, ice hasn't broke, you know, um, versus a gratitude. Like, like I have this, you know, per perfectly fitted, you know, suit that will keep me warm always. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. There's a difference there. It's like, it's okay if I broke the, the ice is broken. I'm in the water, but I have the suit that still protects me. <laughs> and yeah. how does, how does that, because the way you describe it, it, it sounds really experiential. It doesn't sound like just an idea. Yeah. How, yeah. Does, how does that experience influence your day-to-day -day life? Wow. Oh, my God. It, it, it's, it's, it's indescribable, I, I would say. I would say I, because I can talk all day long to somebody about this, but just like you said, it has to be an experience that they have for themselves and the experience of course is helped by reading certain things or by hearing about certain things but i do have to give thanks to my fundamentalist background because in those situation in those experiences it's true i couldn't have read these books that i read and that changed me it was almost like these books gave a framework to the experience in the fundamentalist religion, I'll just tell you what the experience was. In the fundamentalist religion, there, there are two things, okay, that that gave that gives people why is fundamentalist religion still popular? It's still growing in some ways. It, it makes it it makes people so much like they want to spread the gospel, right? Why? Mm -hmm. I think there's two reasons. 
in my experience. One is that the community of brotherhood. I, be, I just had Jehovah's Witness come to my door, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I, I could talk to them and try to dissuade them from their faith or whatever. But I'm like, no, I'm happy that they feel, guess what? The sense of brotherhood. You know, it's, there's nothing, there's no brotherhood like fundamentalist religion. I have not felt that outside of it. it. It is so profound. It's like we all believe in this very rigid, <laughs> you know, and it's so like, you're my brother. Like, like we are really in the same faith. The second experience is the, the worship experience. And it's different for every religion. You know, a, a ceremony is different. Ritual is different for everyone. But the, but, the, but the ritual and the ceremony that I experienced was so profoundly grounding, embodied experience of this belief that it made, it made it into my bones. The, the praise and worship, the music, it made it into my bones. The gratitude and the warmth made it into my bones. But the problem was that the belief was still so thinly rigid that it was easily breakable. And now I've added those experiences of that embodied warmth and I've added the framework that says, yeah, I can, it, both my mind and my emotions are, are aligned now, I guess. Because back then my mind kept questioning. Mm -hmm. so. and, it, and it sounds like this, this embodied, and I, and I love the words you describe it with like warmth. Yeah. Um, and this kind of suit, it sounds like a protection. Yes. And it's like, that seems to give you a, a level of rest and yes. security that, you, that really helps you. Rest is the right word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is a, an, an eternal restfulness that I don't know if a book can do it. It almost like you have to experience, some people might experience it on a mountaintop. Some people might experience it in a warm bed, I mean, ironically, that, that they can connect that to that. But it's, it's some embodied experience that has to be there for somebody. It, maybe it's in love. You know, some people experience that in a romantic love or it could be in a, in a parental love. I think there are many, many paths. Different ways. The floor is yours now. Okay. In the sense of yes. something that you would like to talk about that's, at the edge of your thinking and that really really moves in you that you yes. want to talk about and kind of have a listen ah okay so um yeah i guess i what's on the edge of my thinking and it's been for a while and i continue i suspect it will be for a while longer is Entrepreneurship, I have this deep faith, I guess, that it can be for everybody. And yet I see a lot of people struggling with it. Like people who either they have a hard time organizing themselves to make it work or they it, it is always in some form of organizing ourselves to make entrepreneurship work. Um, and I'm just so interested in whether, <laughs> how much of entrepreneurship is nature versus nurture? 
Like how much of successful entrepreneurship? So for example, I... And would you say nature in the sense of DNA or nature in the sense of upbringing and nurturing what we can learn later? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think it's a spectrum. I think, I think it's all of it. I think that there's DNA involved and then there's also formative experiences involved in that. So for example, a lot of people don't know this, but I have a successful entrepreneur father. Hmm. Okay. So my dad growing up, all I knew was he was gone often. Unfortunately, that was part of it because that's, you know, back then there was not as much online stuff. Um, And he built a company from the ground up having been very poor from his upbringing. He literally erased the richest story where he built a company from ground up zero to international success where he had uh, dozens of employees and making multi-million dollar transactions in multiple countries around the world. And I would go into his company as a child and be the boss's kid, you know, where like, I'm like, okay, my dad's the boss here. Like, look at all these dozens of people, you know, actually he had hundreds of employees. If you counted the factories where people were, but at his central headquarters, there were dozens that I saw. And to me, I was like, oh, so I think there was something formative there that I take for granted. It's like, oh it's yeah, like, like anybody like can. normal. That's normal that, <laughs> that you just have a family member just, you know, build up a business from nothing to, to a success. Most people don't have that. <laughs> okay. So I don't, I don't I, right. So I don't know about the DNA. I think part of my DNA is probably also that I have a certain way of thinking about organizing information. I mean, that's quite helpful. I, you know, spreadsheets come easily to me. They don't come easily to most of my <laughs> clients. Right. So that, I'm sure that helps for business. Right. So, um, okay. And then, um, but of course, my clients have their own form of experiences that I'm sure would be beneficial, right? So one example is that I think one example that is a detriment to my, to my entrepreneurship is that, um, interesting, I think my race, because uh, most of my, uh, the clients I work with are, are of a different race than me, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there is... Um, and I would say it's funny, like I noticed, I noticed uh, for years, I actually noticed something interesting. A lot of my, the clients who work closest with me, as I find out more about them, I learned that one of two things, either they had some kind of Asian influence in their life, even though they were white, they had like, they lived in Japan or they, they had a good friend who was Asian or something like that, or they, they had a spouse who was Asian, you know? So, so that therefore my race was uh, a welcoming influence for them. Or, or, or the other reason was that they are an extremely liberal, socially liberal culture or they have views where they are literally like almost, they have this almost, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, what do you call it when schools accept people of different races so that they can balance out the, what's that called? Um, affirmative affirmative action. action. Affirmative action. It's almost like certain clients, if they don't have the Asian influence, they have an affirmative action mindset where they're mm-hmm. like purposely wanting to work with people, uh, purposely wanting to support businesses of 
of, 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 of diverse, diverse racial backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Can, um, can I, like, <laughs> I, I, w- I would like to understand your question one level yes. deeper potentially. Yes. Yes. Because you asked you, you asked yourself in the beginning that you have this faith that entrepreneurship is for everyone. Yes. Yes. Why? Like why 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 should it be for everyone? What's the Yes. Why? Yes. Yeah, no, and, and that's a really good that's actually part of this, right? I think our society social economic I would just say economic engine is changing so fast, has been and will be for the next five, 10, 20 years, that it's going to be increasingly hard to find a job that you find meaningful. So this is actually socioeconomic. Okay, there's two things happening here. One is that um, automation is basically replacing a lot of humans in rote work, you know, driving, um, factory work, uh, call centers, um, administrative work, even lawyers and um, even software engineering, right? Like some of it's getting automated because software engineers are so smart, they can automate things. So humans are going to increasingly find it hard to find easily trainable work. In other words, mm-hmm. things that I can teach you, listen, Lucas, step one, you do the step two, you do the step. Well, if I can teach you that exactly, well, I can teach a robot how to do that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think this is going to be a major problem for humanity going forward. Secondly, social media has made it so that we are easily influenced and envious of others who have a meaningful life in, in a way that we don't. Whether it's look at their relationship, they have such a perfect relationship, or look at their perfect vacation, or look at their perfect work. Look, they're, they're so, they love their work. How come I don't love my work as much? Or perfect, perfect body? How come, I, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's, we, are easy, we are more and more enviable, uh, or, or we have more and more envy of others who have the perfect life. And, and in other words, dissatisfaction is becoming more and more of a problem. So this, this word meaningful seems to be really important for you. Yeah. What, what yeah. does it mean to have a meaningful um, work? What, what yes. does that mean for you? So meaningful work is work where the person, the human being has more autonomy and, and I, ironically, more uncertainty, okay? Because if everything is certain, like I'm going to be doing these 10 steps for the rest of my life, I don't care how much autonomy I have over those 10 steps, this is going to be, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> like, like people can't, people need challenge. Ironically, we, don't, we think we don't want challenge, but people actually thrive based on uncertainty and challenge and change. Uh, it's like, oh my God, there's a change. And now I got to use my ingenuity to figure out how to adapt to that change. And because of, of, of that process of adaptation, I'm happier because I was able to overcome that. Okay, so that's to me, is, that's what entrepreneurship is. Mm-hmm. 
and, and that to me is the opposite of a corporate job where the boss in a corporation or in a business, a boss by definition wants their worker to be stable and to keep doing the same things. They, they, you know, I, if I'm hiring you and I'm hiring you because I can't replace you with a robot yet, I need you to fill this role to do this, just this role. That's what I, I want you to do what I want you to do. <laughs> I don't want you to do what you want to do. I want you to do what I want you to do because that's what I'm paying you for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you, if you do outside of this because you want more autonomy or you want more uncertainty, then it brings me uncertainty as a, as a boss. And that's not good for my business because I want certainty in my business. Essentially, I want robots. I want really smart robots, but I want robots. But, but isn't it that the more we can automate certain aspects, the aspects we can't automate actually include a lot of uncertainty. Otherwise, we could automate them. That's true. So the uncertainty is where, is where either the business owner needs to, is, is what brings the business owner growth and autonomy and happiness, or they give that role to an employee which, who then eventually outgrows it if they want more autonomy and uncertainty. So the business owner, therefore, is always in this state of, I'm either going to hire somebody. If I hire somebody, they could outgrow the role. They could leave me. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and this, is, this is actually the reason why I am still a solopreneur today, is that I know that there's this dynamic of, if I hire someone, either, well, there's, there's, there's a reason why I don't work with assistants anymore, because they tend to want to, to do more work. <laughs> Than I think is necessary, and therefore, because that's the human, like there's a certain a sense of uncertainty. Well, I want to, I want to fill more of the role so that I'm, I'm more, you know. So, do you have another word for uncertainty? Novelty. Novelty. Uh, Novelty. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Uh, so, so there's, so there's this. So that's why I believe everyone eventually has to become an entrepreneur because there's. Um, there's a, a need for, for three things now we're talking about. There, there's a need for autonomy, there's a need for novelty, and there's a need for security. And security is going to be increasingly difficult being under somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, in, in another. So, so that's why I, I'm at this, I'm, at, I'm trying to figure out. So the irony, so here's the irony about all, right? I'm trying to help everybody become an entrepreneur. But if I give them the exact steps, <laughs> they're no longer an entrepreneur. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're now, a, they're now, it's almost like they're now got bought my franchise. Mm-hmm. It's like now I'm a franchisor. It's like, okay, the George Cow method is a franchise. It's like, oh, you just do these 10 things and you will become successful. But that's the irony is that it's no longer an authentic business if you're doing the exact things I'm telling you to do. It, it sounds to me like th- this would be kind of the way I would try to summarize that is on yeah. the one hand, I th- what you describe as novelty and, uh, um, and challenge and all of those things, I, I could maybe summarize as freedom. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And that is actually freedom. But to have freedom, for instance, in an entrepreneurial way, you need 
certain skills and certain processes. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you can't reach this freedom, at least in the entrepreneurial way. Right. So you need to learn these skills. Yes. But that means you don't have freedom in these skills because if you don't do this, you don't reach that. So you're <laughs> at a paradox. It is. It's a paradox. But the funny thing about it, of course, is that if somebody is trying to learn a certain set of skills and it's not working for them, they should be also simultaneously exploring on their own, almost creating skills or exploring other skills. Like they need to have, like, like I can't have clients go, well, if I can't learn from George's ways, then I need to quit. You see what I mean? Like George doesn't have all my answers. Mm -hmm. And like, it, it, so it's this kind of funny thing where it's like, I'm trying to, I, I believe I have all the answers because otherwise I wouldn't be staying talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in Facebook ads, but God, if it doesn't work for you, then God, you got to find a different way. I don't know. <laughs> you know. So it's kind of like this, this, I don't know has to be, uh, it, ha it can't be the final answer. And, I don't know, but I'm going also, to figure it out. It also seems like that's the edge of your Yes. unknown is yes. that you have all of these processes and you believe yeah. in them, yeah. but you also know they're not for everyone. They're not for everyone. And to be a successful entrepreneur means that people can't rely on anyone. Teacher, skill set, even skill set. They can't rely on that because they have to know that even if that skill set gets automated or disappears or is no longer relevant in the market, they can figure it out. And, and, and that they can figure it out has to happen soon enough because otherwise they have to get a job. So it's, it's like this, it's very, very challenging. This kind of like, I'm trying to help everybody. It's like, I'm trying to help everybody learn a certain skill set in time for them to be able to succeed. And yet if the skill set doesn't work for them, they have to figure it out in some other way quick enough <laughs> to make it work. So you're trying to teach a skill yeah. set and the meta skill set at the same time. Yeah. The meta skill set is experimentation and figure it out. And that was, that was the time for you to talk about your leading edge yeah. of thought, by the way, but it was a beautiful ending, wasn't it? <laughs> right there. <laughs> Good. So now. Um, you spend a lot of time doing these, uh, you just, before we started recording, you were telling me about the 22 workshops that mm -hmm. you were doing in, or 22 workshop days in five weeks. So I'm really curious, what are you actually doing in those workshops? Um, give me a sense of that first, because I, I want to see, a, I want to have a picture in my mind, because that, that, that is, occupies your, your time a lot. Um, what am I actually doing, or what, yes. are, what are we teaching? No, no, what, what are you actually doing? I'm so curious, mm -hmm. like I want to I get a picture of my mind of what Lucas is physically doing. I want to see mm -hmm. a movie scene here. So my main activities in these trainings we, we're training relatively large groups of people is number one i present information so it's about theories um yes. for example how does the human nervous system work what is developmental trauma how are these two connected stuff like that yes that's one number two um designing and leading exercises for people to not just get information but to learn tools to work with that. That would be activity two that Lucas does on these trainings. Activity number three would be then coaching people in those exercises. So they are working with each other, they are experimenting, and usually 
like we just talked about with you, whenever you learn new skills, you usually don't succeed the very first time you try them. So yes. then where are you stuck? Where, where can I give you a little nudge? Where can I maybe offer a slightly dicker, a bigger frame than you are using? Stuff uh -huh. like that. And the last one is maybe the most important one and the least um, clear one is I just talk to the people in the breaks, in the mornings, in the evenings, people come to me with their questions, their, um, their challenges, and we talk. And yeah. I, I generally only use the tools that we've taught until that point in the training. Mm -hmm. But in these conversations, I try to also, again, really listen to them, talk to them, but at the same time, um, help them with their personal exploration and journey using the tools we're teaching them. I see. So it's kind of the meta game. Yeah. So of these activities, what's your favorite? It's very difficult to rank because um, okay. one without the other would feel hollow. Okay. Like, okay. Uh, but I think the one that gives me the most personal joy is yes. talking to people. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, and when you're talking to people, what's the like? What's one topic of conversation that comes to that comes up? It's very often people's. So we have these trainings, and the days are pretty full. Yeah. And usually, because what we're working with is in one way consciousness work. Yes. Like um, doing body work, talking to people, you can only talk to people about things and in ways that you're conscious of. So we're often um, trying to introduce distinctions about uh, internal states. We're trying to um, help people see where do their reactions maybe come from and why are they coming up now? Yeah. And how can you, if that happens in a client, work with that? So uh -huh. yeah. very often people come with those personal experiences. They right. either share, this came up in me or this came up in my, my practice partner and I didn't know how to be with that. And then yeah. we explore that. So in many ways, it's actually, it's usually exploring people's inner worlds and mm -hmm. helping them become more aware of what are the patterns that are running yeah. in them, but yeah. also um, how can they be with that in a new way? And do you feel like uh, those conversations could happen over the internet or is it, is it really uh, in person that's required? Um, in my experience, they can happen over the internet. Um, they need a different setting over the internet. So mm. a lot of the ways we work in these trainings is we do things both through conversation and touch. Yeah. Right. That's something we can't do over the internet. I yeah. am currently experimenting with like more movement exercises. Yes. I find yes. That they have similar yet yeah. also different ranges, but just sessions um, exploring each other can very much happen over the internet, I think. Yeah, that's, and 
um, what kind of, let me think about this. Um, there are so many modalities, right, to help with trauma, with personal development. What makes this modality that you're doing workshops with, what makes it truly unique? Or what makes it something that you believe in more than another modality or other modalities you've seen? That is a very difficult question, number one, because I don't know all the modalities. So I yeah. <laughs> right. all the modalities. Yeah. Well, let, let's just say, uh, compared to others you've encountered that you, already, that you already know about, what makes this one really um, special? I think we're, we're getting close to the realm of like almost paradoxical again. But yes. um, for me, it has two things. It's on the one hand, it's subtlety. Uh -huh. I, th I think um, be because we're talking about people's inner worlds and we're talking about different states of consciousness and yeah. um, I am feeling something. I am angry, for instance. Uh -huh. Okay, what does that mean? Is this, I am angry about something in my life right now? Is this anger from the past coming up? Uh, is this yeah. uh, more, of a, more of a fight flight anger? Or is this more of an emotional, something's not right anger? And for me, these subtleties make a huge difference in how to be with other people and with myself. But I often don't, like I many approaches I've known and I know often lack that subtlety um, yeah. on giving those, those distinctions that in the beginning are difficult to grasp. But I think once we get them, they profoundly change how we interact with, with ourselves and others. Mm. So there's subtlety on one end. And on the other end, there is a holistic, uh, the holistic approach because yes. um, let's assume I have a lot of subtlety, but all I have subtlety about is the realm of emotions. Yes. Then I will look at everything through this lens of emotions because that's what I know. Yeah. But in my opinion, there are emotions and lots of different layers and subtleties of emotions, but there's also sensation and kind of uh -huh, body, right. body experiences. And I mm -hmm. think they work differently. Our body mm -hmm. works differently than our emotional body. Yeah. So knowing how to kind of work with these different systems makes a difference for me. And um, so it's both. I think we need the subtlety in each system, within our emotional system, within our physical system, within our mental system. Is this just repetitive thought or is this right. real thinking? Um, and we need the breadth to, yeah. to know what are we dealing with right now. Um, so my next question here is, because you teach these things and you facilitate these things, um, I imagine people in your life probably expect you to be uh, uh, quite evolved or able to. <laughs> and how do you... Uh, does that give you, does that give you pressure? Does that give you pressure? Are you glad about their perceptions about you? Like your closest relationships, for example, they, they know you do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. So 
do they then uh, expect you to be like, well, you shouldn't be angry, you know, because you, you know, you should know, or you should know how to deal with your anger. <laughs> like, how does that translate? I guess maybe the question is, how does that translate into your personal relationships? Well, I think from what you ask, I, I have two kind of roads to answer. Yeah. How, how yeah. does it translate into my personal relationships since my partner is, is in a very similar line of work? I find oh, okay. that, we, that we have a relationship that I'm infinitely glad for and that contains a lot of subtlety and depth that, yes. that I, I take for granted, but I don't yeah. think is, is necessarily yeah. normal. Yeah. And the other question you asked was, how do I find it that people perceive me like that? It yes. very much depends on my daily mood. I, I do have one aspect or one part in me that, that likes to put myself slightly above people because I feel yeah. safe then. So yeah. uh, that part generally enjoys it when people kind of look at me as, oh, he knows things I don't because right. I can keep people at arm's length with that. Mm. But I also... Um, I also have another layer where it can be very draining that when people kind of expect me to always be open to them. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I personally am most inquiring right now is um, the more I, my own subtlety and my own kind of perception of different psychological dynamics and things like that grows, the more difficult it becomes for me to just accept them, to just be like, oh, this is the way it is. And mm. like, I can accept them for a moment, but to, to long-term be in, you know, in friendships or in similar things where I have a sense that the friendship is tilted and I, and I don't know how to find my way back it becomes much more difficult for me to bear than it used to be when I was less aware of this kind of stuff. Yes, 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 yes. And I find that difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, what is one right now? What is your, um, is there, yeah, maybe that's that one. Maybe it's something else. Is there an inquiry that you have going on right now that you're passionately, well, I guess maybe that's what you're going to talk about next possibly. We can also just do that transition, so please ask. Yeah, let's, let's transition, because that was going to be my next question that I didn't think was exactly what we're going to be doing here. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the question is, what is a, a line of inquiry in your work that is particularly fascinating for you right now? That's, that's, uh, that's what I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Mm. So... I, it's quite interesting because I could take two route, routes right now. Just one inquiry that's personally very interesting for me and one that's more professionally interesting for me. And I, oh, yeah. which, okay. which one interests you more? I would like to. Uh, uh, personally. Personally. Yeah. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time these past months really diving into the dynamic of my own inner critic mm. and the, and which I think is a, is a massively important aspect also of being an entrepreneur, uh -huh. like the, oh, yeah. the, 
yeah the self uh, the self consciousness but also um confidence on mm. and on the other hand also reflection and being yes. able to take feedback and criticism without getting into uh, what uh, in this training we were talking about we like to call the inner meat grinder where it's uh -huh. like rather than oh i i get feedback and maybe it doesn't feel great the first second i get the feedback it's like my internal uh, my inner critic gets so active that i can't actually digest the feedback because all i hear is i am shit and uh. i go down the drain so yeah. um this dynamic of the inner critic and on the other side this feeling of self-worth mm -hmm. and self-worth not as a not as a i am worthy because i am doing something or i'm worthy because i am achieving something but i have worth i am yeah. worth yes i that that level of um for me the the experience i've had these past weeks is that something in my heart the more i've explored this topic seems to have filled in a way that whenever my critic is very active and i'm and i feel both angry at myself and usually very small at the same time mm -hmm. it's uh, there is an emptiness and there is a sense of being lost and feeling lost mm -hmm. and it seems that this filling of the heart has really changed the way that dynamic is active in me and yeah. it's still difficult for me to say a sentence like oh i am worth or i am worthy or yes yes but but it is something that's much more in an embodied sense present so that that's been a very important inquiry for me these past weeks and months interesting yeah and maybe because I'm now in the leading edge of my thought, <laughs> um, um, I, I personally think, and I have no proof for this, but this is just my belief, uh, that this inner critic, and I, and I think the inner critic can come in very many shades, is actually one of the trickiest things to be with especially in personal growth because mm -hmm. um i personally know it and i i've seen it in so many clients that i have a session in the session something new happens and i have a breakthrough uh, or uh, something that was stuck melts and at the end of the session I can feel that that's there, but there's also this question in me of like, is this real? Can it, can it really change? And then throughout the days, this gets louder and louder and louder, and this gets lost. And it's kind of that this inner critic takes over again. And yeah, one of the things I'm really thinking about, and I'm also just curious to maybe hear you because you are my conversation partner, um, is 
how to work with this inner critic sustainably in people so that this doesn't repeatedly happen because I see this as one of the main traps that I think people can stay stuck in for oh, years. Yeah. And I imagine also in, in entrepreneurship, they can yeah, stay stuck absolutely. in this for years. Yeah. How do you currently, I'm curious, so in any given day when, when it comes up, how do you, what's your response to that? When you so, notice the inner critic? That would be step one. <laughs> it's noticing it. Yeah, um, right, right. Which, okay. Be, because I think it's for many of us, it's so natural. Yes. To, um, for, for instance, for me personally, it's, it's very much been this um, feeling in my back that, mm. that's kind of like something's pressuring me from behind. Oh, that's and, interesting. And that, but that feeling, and that's at least one of my critics, is so known to me and so natural for me that I often don't even recognize it as a critic, but just as, as oh, I have to do something. And mm. so step one is actually identifying it as a critic rather than, oh, I need to do something. Which, which, would, which is so much easier to just be like, oh yeah, I just have all of this energy, I need to do something, but I don't need to Talking about the subtlety, yeah, yeah the subtlety exactly. of the, the feeling, of, okay, what's, what's the distinction here, what's the, yeah. Yeah, and, and for me, the big step beyond noticing it is actually then um, connecting with it. So not necessarily in the moment, but... Uh -huh to take time to actually get to know that part. Mm. And this is where my kind of IFS background very much comes in with this sense of internal part, family system. Yeah, each uh -huh. part has a reason why it's doing what it's doing. Okay. And, and the more I understand why it's doing that, the more I can see. So for instance, this, this part is really striving for me to be accepted. So, so the part that you said, the, the back um, pushing you, why is that the inner critic? Why wouldn't that be the inner motivator? Is that, or, is, or is there such well, a thing? I think that could be an inner motivator, but that would feel different than how it feels in my body. Because this, huh. this and, and I think this is, again, if, if this is transformed, and that's really what I'm, what I'm working on right now, the more I, I am transforming this, the more I feel this as a positive energy. But, oh, but when okay. I first became aware of it, it was pressure. And when oh. I didn't follow that pressure, it was mostly my heart feeling empty and mm. there being this really child part of... Oh. So it's, it's not necessarily about... Um, oh, there is something in my back that's pushing because that could also be stability or... Mm, yeah, uh, there we go. Or holding or whatever, but it's about how it's happening. And that this how it's happening is, fuck you, you have to work. Do more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hashtag hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talking about entrepreneurial culture. Yeah. yeah. It's better to hustle 24-7 than to yeah. have a job where I'm like, really? Is, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, but yeah. I, I think especially, and I think inner critics can come in many different shapes. Um, so there can be the ones that really 
and this is something I don't have as strong, but I know people who uh-huh. really have this, who attack your basic right to exist. You don't even have a right to exist. No. Yeah, like, wow. Yeah. And that's a different taste than uh, work more or you're worthless. Um, yeah. But, but I think this work more is so widespread in different cultures. I think American culture has that very much. German culture has that definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and entrepreneurial culture has yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, I mean, Chinese culture, Japanese culture, uh, Indian culture. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all, all over the place. I mean, actually, if you look at the largest economies in the world, that's where <laughs> um, So it's very interesting to me that, because I'm not as expert on the inner critic as you, obviously. Every time I've heard the inner critic, it's called one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just one thing. So you're actually making distinctions here. And, and uh, these, are, these are not just distinctions from me. I am also borrowing them from Jay Early. Like a dude I find brilliant for creating distinctions. Yeah. But I, in my world, yes, there are very many different types of inner critics that can go yeah. from... It, it's more about the modus operandi. It's more okay. about how they, so um, uh, what makes an inner critic for me is that it is a part of me that is criticizing myself. Right. And, and it yeah. can criticize me and it usually does that to get me to do something. Yeah. And that getting me to do something can be, um, can be you're, you're not worth it, so don't even try. So it, yeah. it, it tries to get me to like not do things and keep a low profile. And, right. and it can be, you're worthless, so work harder. Right. And it can be, you're worthless, you don't even have a right to exist. It's more about that. The, so the, the key way, word there is worth. I think in, ma- in, many, in many cases, yes. I think it can also be um, uh, to stay safe, you need to work harder. I think it can have different tastes, but it's, uh, but it's about this level of that it attacks ourself. So that one part of us attacks. Yeah, it's kind of like an immune system gone haywire kind of. Yeah, it's, it's trying so, to fulfill its job through this attack. Uh, so, the, so is the inner critic ever beneficial? Well, for the role it's trying to do, usually what it's doing works. If, it, if this part is, and this is, this is a, a, one of my major distinctions would be, is it beneficial? Like, does it have a positive intent? Yes, always. Hmm. Does it have positive results? Yeah. Very rarely. Yeah. I mean, it can be that you have a very, very strong inner critic, but because it's right. pushing you so strongly, you actually yeah. achieve in many ways. Right. But actually your achievement is not filled with joy, but is driven by fear. Well, it reminds me of how many of us are raised. I mean, par- par- parents do this, uh, schools do this, companies do this. I, I do think that, um, at least for me, and also just looking at this culturally in the culture I've been brought up in Germany, yeah. um, there is very much a level of um, like Protestant, you have to yeah. work to be yeah. 
uh, worthy. Worthy, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But but, so can inner critics create results? Absolutely. I think, uh, at least in my personal circle, some of the people who have achieved the most have done it through that inner pressure. Yeah. Is it the most sustainable, joyful, uh, fulfilling experience of life? I'm not so sure. <laughs> what happens when there is, the, so how does worth become grounded or become, you know, a strong part of somebody's psyche then? And that would be a big question. Um, in, in my experience and in my view of the world, worth is not, about my beliefs or my uh, something, but worth is actually a part of who I really am, like a part of myself, I am worth. The question is, number one, do I experience that? And number two, as you've put it so beautifully, which is something I, I use as a metaphor quite regularly, is it in my cells? And I think the true um, experience beyond the inner critic is often the experience of worth or safety or whatever it is that the critic is trying to create. Um, but I think in a way that is not a belief, but that is actually an experienced reality of there is no question about my worth yeah uh -huh. yeah and that won't then be i've experienced that once but um when we when we experience that again and again i think then that critic can actually completely let go because yeah. then the question of worth or achievement is is not even mm. a question anymore right That's, that's a great explanation. It's interesting. I, I, I feel like I, I feel the same way and I think the same thing, but you've, you've talked about it in a different way than I've ever heard. So, yeah. Yeah. It's what I'm right now trying to really put words to and where I'm using other people's material, especially Jay early, because I really, I think he has a clarity that I rarely see, but um, where I'm really trying to put these experiences into easily digestible words and also then kind of formats to work with people in this realm um yeah so that's kind of my leading edge of my thought excellent thank you you never, you never know what's around the next corner